This morning we're going to be continuing our series in the parable of Jesus. I love exploring these stories of Jesus and the vision it gives us about the kingdom. I also enjoyed hearing stories of the Great Depression era and how the American dream was sold to people because they knew people could only succeed if they had a vision to carry them towards accomplishment. We all have things that we'd like to accomplish and visions that we'd like to work for in our lives. One time in my life, I wanted to be a baseball player, but I realized that I struck out a lot and that wasn't going to happen. I, I had a vision to travel across the country in bands, but I'm tone deaf and have a really bad sense of rhythm, so that didn't work out so well. But I learned that my vision was bigger than just singing and songwriting. I did still get to tour uh, with music across the country. I still have a dream to take the Mississippi boat, a Mississippi River boat down the Mississippi uh, River, all the way from uh, Illinois to Louisiana. We all have visions and dreams in which we want to accomplish. We allow those things to embody us. People coming out of the Great Depression allowed the vision of the American dream to be embodied in them. And it motivated them and encouraged them to succeed and to come out of a dark place. Some of the most successful people in our time that have succeeded at their accomplishments have also featured, uh, also uh, been affected and oppressed by some setbacks to their visions and dreams. For instance, Walt Disney, he was fired in 1919 from the Kansas City Star because they told him he was not original and he lacked no imagination. Oprah Winfrey had a vision to be a television person. However, she was originally fired from a famous Baltimore TV station because they found her newscasting to be too emotional. She went on to own her own TV show for decades, her own magazine, and her own TV channel. Elvis Presley, one of the most famous singers of gospel music and uh, considered one of the early founders of rock and roll, uh, started his career as a truck driver. When he started singing, people told him he should go back to being a truck driver. In fact, they thought he probably should only be a truck driver in Memphis, that he wasn't meant for anything bigger than the city in which he lived. Steve Jobs was famous for starting the Apple computer. In the 80s, Steve Jobs was fired from the company he started. They found him as no longer visionary, and they felt that his vision had dried up. So uh, the board and shareholders decided to get rid of Steve. About 10 years later, they were facing their own extinction. And during that time, they realized that Steve Jobs had the ability to go into a desert era of his life and revision things. Apple Computer then begged to hire Steve back. His vision then carried them to be the most profitable uh, company to date. Michael Jordan, who even if you don't know basketball, is probably arguably one of the best and most well-known basketball players of all time. He was cut from his team in his youth. They found that he wasn't tall enough or coordinated enough. He went on to set records and be, like I said, one of the most renowned uh, basketball players. When someone asked him about his success, he said this, I've missed more than 900 shots in my 9,000 shots in my career I've lost almost 300 games 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and I missed 
I failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. These are people that stay focused, and they continue to announce, embody, and practice their vision so that they can accomplish it. Each one of us has visions and accomplishments that we want to have in our life. And when we hear stories like that, it encourages us, us that we can, we can accomplish what we want to. We can reach our dreams, our goals. We can see our vision happen. As we study the parables of Jesus, Jesus is casting a vision for the kingdom through these stories. It's a vision that I think as we look at the parables, he begs us to catch as well. The individuals listening to Jesus tell the parables also had vision for their life. They had things they wanted to accomplish and dreams that they wanted to accomplish. They had many things that they wanted to see happen. They knew what the kingdom of God would look like. They envisioned it, and they waited for that day to come. They hoped for that day to come. When Jesus told his parables, they weren't so encouraging. They weren't like the stories I just read of people who just kept trying and they accomplished their goals. In fact, when Jesus told his parables, he actually kind of disencouraged his people. His listeners found their idea of God and the kingdom of God deconstructed rather than encouraged. So as we look at the parables of Jesus and this morning as we look at Mark 4, let's listen to see how Jesus is deconstructing our vision and asking us to catch his vision. I'm popping a lot, hey? Let's pray. So God, we just ask that you join us this morning. Ask that you send your Holy Spirit to speak to us through your parables, to deconstruct our visions, and give us your vision, and the vision that you gave us about the kingdom of God through the parables. Lord, we just ask that you join us here today, and bless our time together. Amen. As I said People had an idea of what the, their kingdom of God was going to look like. This morning we're going to be looking at the seed growing secretly. It's actually just four verses. This parable is one of the shortest ones. It's found in Mark 4. It's the third parable of four that are shared. Jesus told parables that were not encouraging, as I said. They were undermining and deconstructing everything the listeners thought they knew about the kingdom. They might be stories, but they had explosive implications to those who really listened. Jesus told his parables as a way to explain his vision of the kingdom of God. He wanted people to fully catch his vision of the kingdom. He wanted to undermine and, dis and disconstruct their false understandings that stood in the way and prevented them from seeing what God was doing. It was common to tell parables at this time for teachers of the law. It was a rabbinical practice to set up comparisons to encourage people in their walk it, you know it was common that when jesus starts his parable as he often says well the kingdom of god is like and that was common for teachers of the law at that time they would say god is like or god wants us to live our life like and then they would tell a story that these idea of parables was not not anything new with jesus but jesus fully embodied that that uh style and actually used it to not only tell us something but deconstruct what we thought we knew as we look at this parable in context this morning before we read it it's important to notice as i said it falls as the third parable out of four in mark four a couple weeks ago i looked at the first parable the first parable is the parable of the sower and the seed 
where Jesus compares himself to a farmer who's going throughout the hillsides and allowing the good news and the goodness of the kingdom to fall on everyone and anyone who's willing to listen. He's throwing his seeds everywhere. He doesn't decide what's good soil and what's not. Then Jesus says, you know, press in to my parables. There's hidden meaning. And if you press in and understand them, you will understand my vision of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to tell us about the kingdom of God. His mission was to fully announce, embody, and demonstrate the kingdom of God. This third parable that we're going to look at today follows then the second parable, which is the parable of the lampstand. This idea that what is hidden will come to light. The lamp will be put up on a lampstand and everyone will see the hidden meanings, the, the secrets of the kingdom. Then Jesus wastes no time going into what we often call the parable of the seed growing secretly. This idea that what is secret is now coming to light. And he compares that secret to a seed. As I said, Jesus fully embodied, announced, and demonstrated the kingdom of God. When Jesus prayed over people and asked God to heal them, he was demonstrating. He was bringing healing and wholeness to them. He was saying, in my Father's heaven, this is how it is. And it should be here too. When he told, uh, taught his disciples, and as he told parables, he announced the kingdom. And he told us how it is. The way he lived his life and was willing to give it all for the glory of God embodied the kingdom of God. And when he told these parables, he told them in a way that taught us to also demonstrate, embody, and announce the kingdom of God. Let's look at Mark 4. If you have your uh, Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up with me. If not, there are red pew Bibles in front of you, and you can find this passage on pages 994. Okay, Mark 4, 26 to 29. He also said, this is what a kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by the self, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel with the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Jesus is doing a few things in this parable. So what he's saying is this. There's a farmer. You know, he doesn't really understand how seed germination works or how something that doesn't seem alive gives birth to life. He just knows that if he puts it in the ground and he goes about his work, that it's going to grow. That harvest is going to come. That the earth will automatically make it happen. He scatters the seeds, hopes it finds fertile ground. He has a farm to run. He has other things to do. So he goes to bed, he wakes up and does his other chores. He said he doesn't know why the seed gives away to life. He doesn't think about it. He just lets it happen. Many of us at garden or farm may not understand how seed germinates or how something that seemingly is unalive gives birth to life. But we know that we planted in soil that it will grow. The farmer just knows whether he's awake or asleep, present in the field or absent from it, the seed grows naturally. Eventually harvest will come and he will be able to reap what he planted. You know, at the same time that he, Jesus was telling this, what he was deconstructing and undermining was the idea of the kingdom of God for those that were listening. 
They were waiting for this big and violent and triumphant, vindictive uh, Messiah that would come and reverse the power structure. Those who oppressed them would now serve them. The things that enslaved them would now be uh, let loose and they would be freed. They believed that their dead ancestors that waited in Abram's bosom would be resurrected and they would get to share in the blessing of God when the kingdom of God restored it. They thought it was going to be instant, and they knew it. They had lost all sense of mystery of the kingdom of God. They knew how the kingdom of God would come. They studied it. They remembered the words of the prophets. What Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom is like the seed and the way the earth is automatic. The kingdom is present, and it is coming. But what he also says is the kingdom is here. When Jesus mentions the sickle, he's actually referencing uh, an, a, prophet, a prophecy from Joel. In Joel 3.13, Joel says this. Um, oh, look at that. I don't have it. Joel says this, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. This is a prophecy that the, the people listening to Jesus tell his parable would have known. They knew this prophecy. This described them. When the kingdom of God comes, it's going to look like this. It's going to look like God bringing a sickle and taking out everything that oppresses us. When Jesus mentions that, he's saying, I'm here standing with a sickle in my hand. I'm bringing the kingdom now. I'm embodying the kingdom of God here on earth. He's saying, catch my vision for the kingdom in the here and the now. The idea that um, the farmer gets up and goes to sleep and gets up and goes to sleep, as we see in Mark 4, actually has another interesting twist to it. The word Jesus decided to use for get up is the idea of resurrection. He used the same word that means resurrection from the dead. But for his listeners, they would have not thought about it as life after death. They would have understood what he's saying is the kingdom of God is here. It's already present. It looks more like this leaf blade that is pushing through the soil than it looks like this harvesting sickle that you've been waiting for. He's telling them that they're missing the move of God around them. The kingdom looks a lot more like a leaf blade than a sickle. This parable calls us to announce, embody, and demonstrate the kingdom in our lives as well. It teaches us patience and to look for the leaf blade and not the harvest. Sometimes in our lives, we too can be like the Pharisees. We can get caught up and want God to move instantly and just fix everything. Sometimes we seclude ourselves from the world and we wait like the bride waiting for her groom. And we say, we're just going to hang out till God comes back. And when we tell people about the, the glory of God's kingdom, we package it in a way that is futuristic. It's this idea that, you know, Someday, Jesus is coming back. And in one prayer, we expect you to fix it all and be ready for that. We have this idea that the kingdom coming is an instant fix. The listeners of this parable had the same problem. And they were missing what God was doing because they were defined by that. The parable calls us to announce, embody, and demonstrate the kingdom. It looks a lot more like that leaf blade that grows up than it does a big harvesting sickle. 
we can get caught up and think that we need to do significant things for the kingdom of God. We can think that we have to do big things to just make everything right. To show that God reigns and that the kingdom of heaven is real, we think we have to do these big and triumphant things. But when Jesus talks about how the kingdom of God comes, he talks about how it comes as a farmer who plants seeds. And he doesn't know how the seeds work, but he knows it's present and that it grows up subtly. It undermines the idea that we move with as the kingdom. Sometimes we get caught up in things that we have to do significant things. If you have your bulletins with you, there's one line today from today's passage. It says, there's ways in which the kingdom works are not insignificant. We are challenged through this parable to change our mindset to realize what is significant in the kingdom. The ways in which the kingdom works are not insignificant. We are challenged through this parable to change our mindset to realize what is significant in the kingdom. Jesus talked about what's significant in the kingdom. He talks about seeds and a subtle growth. He talks about a farmer who doesn't understand a lot about how it works. He just knows it works. He calls us to be like that farmer. He calls us to be present and believing that the kingdom of God is at work and it's permeating everything we do and to just trust that God is in control. He tells us to be active in our lives and not just wait for this futuristic sense of the kingdom of God. Many of the people listening were missing that. We can uh, view God coming like this. You know, it looks like a best-selling Christian radio single on mainstream radio or a best-selling Christian book on Borders List. It looks like the move of God for many of us looks like um, the idea that there's a Christian movie in mainstream theaters and it's selling lots and lots of uh, tickets. Those things are distractions from how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is very subtle and it's not big and triumphant. By, by looking to those things and thinking that only those things can carry the message of God, we lose the fact that God calls us to be the leaf blade. We can also get caught away, as I said, thinking that the kingdom of God is away in the future. We can place, comfortably place ourselves looking for the future and the way God will bring it all together in the end, that we forget to embody and demonstrate and announce the kingdom to those things around us and to our neighborhoods and the context in which we operate and live. I'll tell you the story in closing about Sadhu Sindar Singh. There's a picture of him. It's a story you may not be familiar with, but it's one of my favorite stories. Sadhu is a, he was a Sikh. He was born in India. He was not born into a Christian family. And he was, uh, he died in the 1920s and lived in the late 1800s. He has a quote up there that says, it's easy to die for Christ, but it's hard to live for him. Dying takes only an hour or two, but to live for Christ remains to die daily. Means to die daily. Sadhu didn't believe in God. In fact, he hated that there were Christians in his region. When he was a kid, him and his friends decided to get some Bibles and burn them. 
that was a fun thing to do on a Saturday night in his culture. He detested that the people thought that the kingdom of God was moving in their region. As he was growing up into his teens, his mom passed away unexpectedly, and he got mad. He got mad because he blamed it on the fact that there were these outsiders in his community. He was so mad that not only did he burn their Bibles and throw stones at any missionary he could see, but he went out to try to poison them and hurt them. One night he felt really depressed. He felt that life wasn't very fulfilling and his Sikh religion wasn't really speaking to him, so he decided to kill himself. He went to a train track and decided he was going to lay down on the train track and whatever the true God was or the truth of the universe would reveal itself to him before he killed himself. He had no vision anymore. As he lay on the track, he ended up having a very supernatural vision of Jesus. He had this idea that he saw Jesus in front of him with his hand stretched out, holes in his hands, bleeding. And he said simply, Sundar, why are you persecuting me? At that point, Sundar went back and read all the parables of Jesus and the stories of Jesus. And he realized that Jesus was the true sense of God. And as he read the parables, he caught God's vision for the kingdom of God. He realized it didn't look like this big triumphant thing that the missionaries were trying to do in his neighborhood. They were, they were building the best programs and trying to build the best hospitals, but they were missing the Indian people. Sundor realized that for him to speak the kingdom of God and the reality of the kingdom of God to his neighbors, he would have to do it in an Indian way. He would have to speak in a way that was his own context. So he picked out a bright yellow robe and a bright yellow hat, turban there, and he wrapped himself up like an Indian guru, somebody who would have been a teacher of uh, their religion, a teacher of their, their sense of morality. And he traveled all around, all the way to Japan from India and back. He was known as the bleeding foot prophet because he walked barefoot, and everywhere he went, he taught and performed miracles. One of the first things that he did was he started working with lepers. He actually moved into a community of lepers and cared for them. He prayed for them. He let the vision of God in the here and the now embody him into a way that it put him in danger. It wasn't just this futuristic sense that when I die, I know I'll be with Jesus. But he let it revolutionize him and let him speak to his context here. And during that era, he wrote this quote. So there's a great difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. If we only know of Jesus as a good man, a great example, it is no help to us. Those who know him know who he is. When we know him, everything is different, and we are living in a new world, a new atmosphere. Heaven begins on earth for us. Those who know him know that Jesus is everything to them. They can bear witness because they have been living with him. If we live in him, he can reveal himself to us, and we shall bear that witness, not for a day or a night only. Though I envision someday floating on a riverboat down to Mississippi, I only know that one vision can totally embody, be embodied in my life. I can only focus on one vision that embodies, is announces, and demonstrates through my life. Through the parables, we learn 
that Jesus' vision of uh, God's kingdom is all-consuming. And that is the vision that I want to embody, be announced, and demonstrated through my life. I don't want to pursue the American dream. I want to pursue the dream of the kingdom of God or heaven on earth as it is now. I love when Sundar says that heaven begins on earth for us. I think that's what the, the parable of the seed growing secretly is all about. When Jesus says the seeds are scattered everywhere and they give sight, harvest is coming. It just looks a little bit here. Farming, farming is a thing that takes patience. While people are looking for something instant and big, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God works slow and it's sure and it breaks in and undermines everything else. So we go out of here today and study these parables at our times at home. I would allow, I would ask you to ask yourself, what does this parable say about how I can announce, embody, and demonstrate the kingdom of God around me and to my neighborhood? When Jesus is standing there and he's saying, you know, harvest has come. He's telling them the kingdom of God has come. He's standing with a sickle in his hand. And he says, heaven begins now. How will you live it? His listeners probably didn't get that. And Jesus doesn't decrypt it for him like he does the parable of the sower. He lets them just press in and figure it out on their own. What we are encouraged to do as we hear that parable is what does it mean for us to live the kingdom of God out in our neighborhoods and to our families and to those around us? How do we embody, demonstrate, and announce the kingdom of God as if heaven is on earth now? How do we plant those seeds that will be slow, that will undermine and break down anything that oppresses it? I shared some visions of people uh, in the beginning of this story that they were able to push through and accomplish their visions no matter what setbacks they had. Even though Michael Jordan was fired from his basketball team, he grew up to be a famous basketball player. They were so motivated by their vision that they kept on. I hope that we can be that motivated about the vision of the kingdom of God. That as we leave here today and we go out into the world, that we realize that we are called to announce, embody, and demonstrate the kingdom to everyone around us. That we are called to carry seeds of the kingdom and plant them in subtle ways so that it can undermine anything that is affecting us or our neighborhoods. There's a lot of poverty within East Petersburg. There's a lot of people that feel isolated. What does it mean for us to plant seeds of the kingdom that will grow up slowly and surely and over time that seem like heaven is there speaking in their context? How do we do that? That is what I find from this parable. I find that Jesus is saying, catch my vision of God's kingdom of heaven here on earth. Now, how do we take that and speak that to those around us? I invite the worship team back up at this time.